DJ and PK want to remind you Valentine's Day is not far away. Flowers make the perfect gift. Jimmy's Flowers, a longtime partner with Zone, can make it easy for you. Just visit them at jimmysflowers.com. Valentine's Day is on a Sunday this year. You need to plan ahead. Jimmy's Flowers at jimmysflowers.com. Time to welcome in Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. Steve, good morning. Good morning, guys. Steve, you ever mess up Valentine's Day? You know, coaching in the middle of an intense season, ever get away from you? Uh, yeah, probably did. <laughs> you just so I, guilty. I, I have uh, a, a, a great wife who uh, doesn't make a big deal out of holidays, doesn't have great expectations, and, and uh, I'm usually the one that, you know, it's my birthday and I'm expecting something, and it was your birthday yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not that bad, but it, it, she, she definitely is not one that feels that uh, – we have to do a lot of things. You know, it's kind of like you guys growing up. I mean, I don't know about you and your families, but I remember having two birthday parties in my life. When I turned 16, and then my wife had one for me when I was 40. I mean, I don't know if either one of you have grandchildren, but it's like a full-on, full-blown-out uh, birthday party for the grandkids every year. I mean, it's kind of like, what can we do this year to outdo what we did last year, you know? <laughs> And uh, it's crazy. I mean, I, I, mean, I tell my kids, I go, what are you doing? You know, they're spending uh, so much money, first of all. And number two, you're creating an expectation that uh, I don't think it's healthy. But that's just the nature of it <laughs> in this day and age, man. Families are taking their kids and doing special things every time there's a birthday, man. So, uh, no, I am... Uh, I live with a, a good woman who understands that I was coaching, and we'll, we'll find the times to go out and, and celebrate. But oftentimes, you're on the road, you're playing a game, you know, it's, it's not happening. But uh, yeah, I, I've got a good woman, and uh, she <laughs> she doesn't get too excited about those things. I know some guys' wives do, and you got you got to be good. But some, once in a while, I have to, not necessarily forgotten, but just never got to it. So it's sort of like bombastic statements when it comes to sports. You've known that. You've known me for about 25 years now. And one of the things that I think I'm, I'm able to say with some level of credence is when you take all aspects of offense in basketball for a center, this Jokic kid might be, and I believe is the best. When you consider everything now in, you know, back in the early days or just in the 80s, 90s, centers – a lot of them weren't outside shooting threes, didn't average over eight assists. When you factor in everything, to me, Jokic is that guy. He's just unbelievable. What is your response? You know, I, I, I really, when you start looking at the all the things that he does, now, I mean, you look at a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar who, who had the ability to, to do special things or Will Chamberlain, you know, you're some of these iconic centers, but I've never seen anybody that was so gifted offensively with the ball, decision-making, shooting the ball, you know, whether it was around the basket. Uh, he has got so many different ways to get to the basket, and, he's, and he does it. He does it with great poise. He, he does it at his pace and his time. And I can't imagine playing this guy and not feeling like you have to double him every time he touches the ball, even at the high post sometimes. And so no, I, I completely agree. And I've heard, I've heard comments recently that you could make an argument that he's the greatest offensive post player ever in terms of full breadth of what he can do and what he has done. Um, 
know, I, I don't know if if I would completely agree with that, but I, I would say you could certainly make a really good argument. And uh, you know, good post, great post players, you know, they're never in a hurry, never, ever, ever in a hurry. And you know, and he runs. I mean, he's in a system that's kind of a Princeton type system, where there are back cuts and curl cuts and and uh, dribble drives and, and and I mean, he he. He fits in perfect. I remember playing Air Force. And you remember back in the mid '90s, early uh, excuse me, in the uh, yeah, in the in the early '90s, mid '90s, yeah. Air Force wasn't really good. I mean, they they just didn't have a system. And once they adopted that Princeton system, and they took the intelligence and the work ethic, and 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 and, and get, mind you, they did recruit some good athletes, but never really had great size. But guys that could post and, you know, I, mean, I, re- I remember that one of the most effective things they did was use their guys as post players and, and in odd situations. And, and the, the Princeton offense obviously is well known, but it was something that fit for them. And, and they all had that skill set. And when I watched Jokic, you could see him playing for Princeton. <laughs> you know, I mean, he, he's a guy that understands reads. He's never in a hurry. Uh, and, you know, he's got enough low post moves. He can put two, three, or four of you at a time. Eventually, a guy leaves his feet, he's vulnerable, he scores or gets fouled. So it's, it's fun to watch him. And, uh, and, and I, you know, I mean, think defensively, he's, he's a little bit limited in some areas. And, but he is more sneaky athletic than you think. The thing I loved about the other night, I read something a day or two ago, and it was from his teammates that said, he didn't want to go back in a game and score 50. I mean, that tells you about the humility of this guy, his love of the game. And, you know, a lot of guys got to put me back in or whatever. I want to get 50 because you know, that's, that's kind of a milestone, his first 50-point game. He may, maybe he's had a 50-point game. I don't know. But that's told me a lot about the person as well. So, yeah, he, he's fun to watch. Steve Cleveland joining us. Uh, so he's fun to watch, but he's hard to stop. And the Jazz, PK wants to put away last year, and I don't. The Jazz have lost several high-scoring games to them. Murray was going off in the playoffs. Jokic here. And the Jazz can shoot their 43s, and they can shoot 40%. And that's the plan on how they're supposed to win, but it doesn't seem to work against the Nuggets. Nuggets have beaten them four times in the bubble and now here in this game. So how worried should Jazz fans be? Or should they just say, hey, they'd won 11 in a row and they lost one? Big deal. Or because it's the Nuggets and it fits a trend, is it a bigger deal? Well, you guys are around them all the time, the team. And you also have watched a lot of games. I, I did not, I read about that game. I did not see that game. I didn't have access to that game. And, uh, cause I wanted to watch that game. And, but the, the, the interesting statistic for me, and maybe he was in foul trouble, but that Gobert was, was really a non-factor in that game. I mean, he's 12 and eight. I mean, he's usually, you know, 18, 20 and 20. And so I don't know what happened there. And if, if, uh, the fact that, he got in foul trouble or what the circumstances were. But, yeah, you know what? That's a team they're likely to play, and it could be a first-round game. And so I, I think you definitely have to. I mean, you're not going to worry about it uh, significantly right now because it's not really happening with any other teams. But definitely they're going to have to address some things and watch the film and find out what they can and can't do because that is a team they may have a seven-game series with like they had this year. And so – and you're right. I mean – 
Denver's had the upper hand. So, yeah, I think I, I mean I don't think you sit there and you're so worried about them that you, you forget about everybody else. But I definitely feel like they're going to play them again and can very well play them in the playoffs. And they've got to have a better answer than they have thus far. So that you know, it's, it's in that game. Um, you know, that was the thing that stuck out to me. I thought, man, he was amazing. Well, what, you know, how did how did Gobert play? And uh, you know what? He, he he didn't have a great game. The numbers don't say that he had a great game. But you know, Connolly goes for twelve. Mitchell goes for thirteen. O'Neal twelve. Clark's third. I mean, the entire team. Nobody really stepped up. So is it all about uh, the big fella at Denver, or is it the fact that? Uh, you know, the other guys really didn't step up and play. And like you said, I mean, they won 11 in a row. They go on the road. They're pretty ripe for an upset, man. <laughs> you know, against a team that struggled mightily to begin the year, and now it seems to be putting things together. So uh, whether they had an 11-game road trip going on or not, streak going on, uh, it was still going to be a tough to place to play because I, th- I think Denver played more desperate. They played more with a sense of urgency. And uh, it was going to be a tough place to win, no whether he got 47 or not. So college is a little different because you don't play near as many games. But in the pros, you know, you, you probably got a game within 48 hours, so no sense obsessing over it because you got something else to get ready for, especially this year because there's a high amount of games. Like, for instance, in February, Jazz are playing 28 days, playing 14 games, which, I mean, obviously, literally, you're playing every other day. Uh, but in terms of benefiting from a loss, Gobert had said when they lost to the Knicks uh, three weeks ago, he thought it was good for them because that spurred on their 11-game winning streak. Do you buy that losses have positives that you use for whether it's in the immediate future or as you continue to progress along the season? I think good coaches, and the Jazz have good coaches, anytime there's a loss, you, you focus more on – yourself and what we could or should have done and what we didn't do well enough. And I think anytime you go through adversity, it makes you better because there's an attention to detail in the film room. There's an attention to detail in conversations. There's a attention to detail when it refers to accountability. And, you know, maybe it's a situation where the coaching staff comes in and says, you know what, our game plan, we, 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 it wasn't, it wasn't good enough. You know, and I, I think when coaches sometimes take the responsibility as well. I mean, there's times that you got to defer and lay it on the players. Sometimes they they need to be know they need to know that you're not playing up to expectations. We're better than that. But uh, I know as a coach that there were times when I I came in and I remember our first my first NCAA tournament when we played um, Cincinnati, and you know it was tied in half, and uh, we had a really good team. And, uh, but I made a mistake and and the mistake I made was my guys ran out of gas in that game. And that was because the coaching staff, the players, everybody's so hyped to be in San Diego that night before the game. And we wanted to get everything in and, you know what, they were a little bit tired and I even, and I didn't know it at the time, but, uh, I, I knew after the game that, uh, I had made a mistake as a coach in preparing them. And I, and I, and you try to learn from those things. And I think sometimes, this is a there's an effort issues there's execution issues there's also preparation issues and the way that they went about guarding him did they make adjustments you know coaches make mistakes too 
it happens. And we, we, you know, despite all the film and all the preparation, uh, something could have probably been done better to guard him, and that he doesn't drop, you know, almost fifty on him. Uh, and I, I think they'll go back the next time and say, you know what, we're going to take this a little. Not that you're going to change your whole defense, but you're going to take maybe take this away or take that away, and then continue to do the good job we did on the rest of the guys. So sometimes coaches need to step forward as well, and and, I, and they do. I mean. Great coaches always do that. They, they they are always sensitive to, hey, listen, as players, our execution level, our effort level, we're playing a lot of games. You know, that it's unacceptable. You got to give us more. We got to play. Maybe we got to play more people. Uh, but at the end of the day, when a coach steps up and says, you know what, well, we need to rethink our game plan here. We're going to do some things differently. And, uh, you know, I'm, I take responsibility. Our staff takes responsibility for that as well. So we're in this together. And I think that always helps, makes players feel more. I, I think it just feels like players know that, hey, I got a, we got a coaching staff that's all in and engaged in this, and uh, they want to win as badly as we do. So I think it's a combination of those things. But most of all, winning 11 games and, and playing night after night, you're going to have nights when you don't play great. And that was one of those nights, and give Denver the credit. Steve Cleveland joining us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. There are a couple other things that happened over the weekend that uh, caught NBA fans' eyes, and one was Damian Lillard hitting two threes around a jump ball and a trap in the backcourt to, to bail the Blazers out when it looked like they were going to lose in Chicago, You know, down five with ten seconds to go. So I am curious. Now we've all seen Lillard hit these shots and hit him in the regular season, hit him in the playoffs. Everybody knows he's a big-time player. He's certainly undersized for the NBA. He goes sixth in the draft. And you know, Anthony Davis and Bradley Beal went in front of him, which you can, I think you can understand. But yep. you know, if you pick Michael Kidd, Gilchrist, Deion Waiters, or Thomas Robinson, you're kicking yourself right now. What do players <laughs> have? You recruited, so you were trying to watch, figure, it's a different level high school to college rather than college to pro, but you're still trying to project, like, who's got it? What is the it factor? What does it look like when a player doesn't fully have it so everyone knows, but he does have it to the point that somebody knows? What, what is that? How do you put your hands on you know that? You uh, know what? So I watched Damon Lillard play in high school in Oakland. You know, I, I was coaching here, and, and I, I, I know that he wasn't really high on a lot of people's radar. Obviously, he, he ends up in a really, really good program in, in Weber State. But that's not typically the path for a guy that's going to go to the NBA and do the special things he's done. So first of all, guys get better. And, and, and I think that's really true with the guy that I had in Paul George, you know, who uh, you know, was, was, a, was a good high school player, but not a great high school player, and really wasn't really recruited. And then, you know, over time, got stronger and developed his game and got more confidence. So I don't, I don't think people at the time, a lot of people say, oh, man, we really missed on Damian Lillard. Well, you know, I remember Damian at the Weber. I mean, he, he, he could really play. And by the time he was a senior, he was more confident. His skill set was different, it was, which was the same thing with Paul. But Paul didn't even ascent like Damian did in college because Damian stayed and played in college where Paul left early. But it, it is a, a situation that it's really sometimes really difficult to tell. I mean, you, you can go into uh, to, to a game um, that and watch games in the summer, and you can kind of see that it factor. You can see guys that play at a different speed, and they have different explosiveness, and uh, they, they're shot, you know, they shoot it well. They've got, you know, just have a really a sense of who they are 
and they don't, again they don't they're not in a hurry to do things. They just game comes to them, and uh, and and so with with Damien, I watched him, and he was athletic in high school, and he played hard. He was competitive, you know. And and if you don't have those things to start with, and then the development of talent, you're never going to reach that level in the NBA like like he has. So you you do see it. I mean, I watched hundreds and hundreds of games. Uh, and I'm for, for a loss of mental breakdown here, there's a young man that, that is in that new uh, G League that was one of the three or four players, and he's from Fresno, and I apologize for having a mental lapse here, but uh, a six 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 seven kid that played at uh, San Joaquin Memorial High School here in Fresno. My, that name's going to come to me. I'll probably text him to you when we're done talking. But he's in that G League. He's being paid like $500,000, part of that new development deal. And I remember going into a gym when I first got back to California and watching him play. And he's playing against other high school players, and you just immediately knew he's special. You're talking and about you, Green? Jalen Green. Yeah, yeah, Jalen Green. Jalen Green, yeah. thank you. And, uh, and, and a great kid. And I remember coming into the gym. This was just a couple years ago. And uh, watching Jalen play, and of course, when you get a guy like that that has all that hype in high school, guys are out to get him. They're going to do anything they can to make themselves look better. And <clears throat> and and Jalen had so much poise as a 16-year-old and a 17-year-old. Now, he'd been on the AAU circuit and played with high-level teams against high-level players. He comes back to Central California where there, there aren't a lot of high-level players. And so the competition. And yet he'd always have two or three guys guarding him, fouling him. And again, just you could see it. He had the it factor. He had the poise. And, you know, he's, he's obviously going to be a pretty good pro when it's all said and done and he gets stronger. But he had it at a really young age. Not everybody has it at a young age, and they develop it. Another young man that I coached for four summers in a row, Bruce Bowen, who would eventually win three NBA championships with the San Antonio Spurs and become almost a 50% three-point shooter when he was playing with them, was I, I coached him four years in high school. And you know what? He was a great kid from Edison High School. I took him every summer to Vegas when I was a high school coach. And and, and he didn't have it. He, he didn't have it. He wasn't good enough. He eventually, I think, he ended up at Fullerton and then found himself in the D-League at the time and in Europe and hopping around. But eventually figured it out and uh, <clears throat> got a chance to play with the – the Spurs with you know, a great team, and he had a role and uh, had an incredible NBA career. So there is a different path. You see different paths and different opportunities. But he wasn't one of the it guys, but he still made it and had a nice little niche there with the Spurs. Uh, Jalen Green looks like a guy that has the it factor. Will he have the same success that a Bruce Bowen will have or a Damon Williams? I don't know, but he's got it. And Damon Lillard really didn't have it in high school. He developed it in college in a great collegiate program at Weber State, and then as a pro became better and better. And so the path is different for everybody, but I, I know what you're talking about. When you go in and see top ten guys, you go, whoa. <laughs> they, they've, got, they've got special talent, and, uh, and they, they, it's kind of like uh, – Bill Bradley, one of Bill Bradley, most, a lot of people aren't going to probably remember Bill Bradley, but I remember reading a book called A Sense of Where You Are. 
and did, it was one of my favorite books as a kid. And I didn't read many books, trust me. But he was kind of an idol for me, and it was it was just like he had so much poise, and he was never in a hurry, and and he just he just did great things on the floor at Princeton, and obviously in the NBA. That's what these guys, when you have an hit factor, they have a sense of where they are in that moment, can do those special things. But some guys have it early on, some develop it, but you know it when you see it. Well, what I took from that answer is if you end up at Fullerton, you really need to re-examine your life cho- choices and refocus. <laughs> we, uh, I'm telling you right now, there, there's no way when, when I watched him play in high school that you would have ever told me that he was going to play in the NBA. Okay, and he had a heart, and he was tough, and he was—he turned himself into a great. I mean, he was a good defender in high school, but he didn't—he wasn't shooting the three ball. He didn't have the three ball. Then he wasn't shooting it like that. And uh, but he figured it out. And you're right, <laughs> the guys are folks are scratching their heads, right? Steve, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. All right, buddy. We'll talk. Have a good week. There's Steve Cleveland. He's here every week on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. You ever make fun of anybody for going to Fullerton, PK? Oh, yeah, I won't see a Costner movie. Hate him. Hate him with passion. <laughs> I worked with a ton of guys from Fullerton. They had the, a premier journalism school. A lot of dudes uh, who've gone on to big things went uh, came through Fullerton Journalism School. Mark Stein probably is the biggest name you would know. Yep. Uh, but there's plenty of guys uh, in the L.A. area that I worked with that are the editor of the entire Orange County Register and all the newspaper which is now a consortium. There's several newspapers. He's a Fullerton guy, and and I had to pretend that I hated Fullerton. So <laughs> Phil Nevitt would come to bat. I would hope he'd strike out. And Justin Turner, all those guys, hated him, hated him with a passion. DJ and PK, everything you missed in this show, we will get you up to speed next. Stay with us. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, The Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Jackson will inbound baseline far side for Leonard. Now short corner on the near side with 14 to shoot. Baseline drive. Oh, Kawhi Leonard takes off and slams with the right hand over the top of R.J. Barrett to make it a 10-point Clipper lead. Lowry down to the baseline far side. Finds a cutting Siakam who jams it down. Oh, he crowned Aaron Gordon. Threw it right in his kitchen. Matthews left wing to Westbrook for three. It's there. Oh, my goodness. With 4.3 seconds left, the Wizards lead one. Highlights from the NBA this weekend. The Wizards, a three, a steal, which was really a gift. Steal is not the right word for that pass. They just lobbed it over there towards the three-point line <laughs> so so the Wizards could go get it. But two three-pointers in the last 10 seconds. Crazy ending. Wizards win. And you heard Kawhi with the dunk. And the Clippers now have the NBA's best record. Any of these teams in the West going to pull away, PK? Or is it just going to be uh, kind of bunched up? Because last year, the Lakers got four or five games clear and then just kind of stayed there. Yeah, because I don't think that the Clippers are really concerned about it. So, I mean, you're... you're, I want a race that doesn't exist because it doesn't need to. And I just want it because it's entertaining. 
Right. You're pulling away from something that I don't care about. Are you really pulling away? I would argue no. And especially this year with the fan situation being what we anticipated being. Does it? And I don't think that the great teams, that's irrelevant anyway. I mean, in Los Angeles, playing in the same, the literally the very same building. So you're going to go all out to get something that doesn't really matter? Yeah. Are you playing in front of Laker fans uh, and the season ticket holders? Are you playing in front of the Laker fans who scalp the tickets from the people who hold the Clippers season tickets because there really aren't Clipper fans? It's not a 50-50 deal in L.A. I think it's like a 90-10 deal. Sure, I mean the Lakers yeah. have the winning and the tradition and all, but I don't, I don't know that any of that matters. So pulling away anyway. is, is that it's a storyline, but is it an important storyline? I would well, argue no. Only if it means that that team really is better, and it's a sign that they're really going to do the same thing in the playoffs. Well, I think it goes back to what Locke was saying. I think just last Friday, if you get one, then you play four. Where you play them doesn't matter. So you want. And he said that last Friday, but in Friday in April could have an entirely different story because one versus four means obviously you're not playing two versus three. If you win one versus four, you get the winner of two versus three. Well, if Denver continues to progress, then there may not be very little difference from one, two, three, and four. So what difference does that make? In the yep. second round. Now, it could make a difference in the first round. Obviously, you want to play eight or with that newfangled thing, whichever team represents maybe, maybe, the yeah. eighth seed. Uh, that could be something that is actually important in the first round. But in the second round, we may have two pickums. Yeah, it may come down to uh, matchups and can you assess which matchup you really want. Uh, as you pointed out earlier in the show, the Jazz wanted the Nugget matchup last year, but the Nuggets won the series anyway. And as far as the Denver shakedown thing, they started 1-4 and four this year and lost to the Kings twice. But then they got better, and they were 5-3 uh, and three over the next eight games, and now they've won six out of seven. I mean, there's a clear progression here. they good. Yep, and they've had to replace three, three guys who left, but they're figuring it out. And what are they, PK? they good. They've got Detroit on Monday, and they are the TNT game with the Lakers Thursday night. So Detroit will be coming in back-to-back to to face the Jazz Tuesday. That's a nice remedy for a loss. Yep. Uh, Coming off a loss, I should say. And Nuggets-Lakers Thursday, that should be entertaining. That'll be the the late game on TNT. Nuggets-Lakers. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've got a superstar of this caliber. Uh, you're, You're in it. Now, Murray had a hot streak. That's why I don't put that much credence in what happened with the Jazz and Nuggets, because Murray was out of his mind. Murray's not that good. He's not a superstar. He got hot. Good for him. Way to go. You got hot. Oral Horsheiser led the Dodgers to a World Series once. He got hot. He's not a Hall of Fame pitcher. (laughs) But for a good while, he pitched like the best pitcher ever. Was it in '88? Is that 88. it? '88. He was yeah. the star when Gibby hit the homer. All that, and way to go! But he's not a Hall of Fame pitcher. So, and that's just one thing that came to my mind. But we can go back over time or recent time, and I'm I'm only going back as recently as last August. So that's why I don't put that much stock into what happened because he's not going to recreate that. He never. He hadn't done it before. He hasn't done it since. 
He's not even an all-star. He won't even be considered for all-star berth this year. Other stuff we have talked about this uh, this uh, morning, uh, the NFL. That was a massive trade with the Rams and the Lions. Two quarterbacks. Both guys have been to the playoffs. Stafford hasn't won a playoff game. He's 0-3 for the Lions. Uh, they give him up, and they get Goff, who, uh, you know, there's a money deal here. Goff's got the bigger contract. Um, but the Rams give up three draft picks, third-rounder and two first-rounders. Does any of this make a difference in the balance of power, or is it still about Seattle and Green Bay and good luck to you guys over here? No, I think it does because the Rams were a playoff team with golf. And I don't think golf is just Chopped completely and totally yesterday's news. Did He's that. only 26. He'll turn 27 in the middle of the season next season. Uh, and he did go to the Super Bowl, right? Yep. But I do, if I look at both of those guys, I view Stafford as a little bit better. So if you're coming to a playoff team and you have a, a good defense, my gosh, Peyton Manning won a Super Bowl. So, yeah, I think it can make a difference. Goff is 3-2 and two in playoff games, but he's had a lot of playoff games where he's thrown for less than uh, less than 200 yards. Well, the most he could have is five. Four of the five. Threw for 300 yards when the Rams beat the Saints in OT with that uh, pass interference at the end of the game, and the Rams won in overtime, and they didn't call the PA, PI and all that and changed the rules because of it. And They didn't call the PA over the, P, the PI over the PA? Exactly. <laughs> what he said. Uh, earlier this morning, we had Ken Pomeroy on. He thinks that BYU and Utah State are in pretty good position for an at-large berth right now, as long as they don't have a bunch of head-scratching losses and take care of business down the stretch. They've positioned themselves well. You quizzed him on, will college basketball tournaments happen? And I think, depending on the school, there's no motivation for the bad schools. There's also no motivation for the really good schools. The school's kind of in the middle, like, hey, we need to get there. That's our path to the NCAA tournament. I don't know if there's enough of them to make it happen. There are TV contracts and paydays tied into these. That could help make it happen. Yeah, I was determined not to just say, what about this team? How many bids is this league going to get? It seems like that's always what we do when we have uh, Kenny P on, and I didn't want to do that this year. Uh, but for me, uh, what are they going to do? If Gonzaga says we ain't going, they're going to kick him out of the league? They're going to fine him? <laughs> And they got all the leverage. Why in the world would Gonzaga? Now, Gonzaga's fans, but this is a different situation because I've been down there every year that uh, BYU's been in that, and that is the Gonzaga Invitational. I mean, that their fans just dominate. They don't have a football program, so it's not like you're spending money to go to bowl games or away games and all that stuff. So they save it up, and they love, they just flock Vegas. It is so impressive to see all those Gonzaga fans there. They take over that place. But I don't think that's going to happen this season because it's just literally next month. Uh, So if you're Gonzaga, what's the point? Why risk contact tracing? Or if you go down there, uh, keep your guys home. (laughs) Use it as a, a spring football practice. That's not a bad idea. That's probably the best. And I do think that Gonzaga is in a different place than most of the elite teams because they have an early tournament. Now, if someone gets COVID, you could lose them and miss, but they could probably play through the first couple of games. Um, 
But if you're if you're in an ACC Big Ten tournament and your tournament goes till Sunday, you got to play on Thursday. That's where even contact tracing could take guys down. Sure. So I, I think that the, the little extra time with an early WCC tournament could work in Gonzaga's favor. Uh, but uh, and and the fact that you know they're not playing three days either; they're just playing two. So there there are things that minimize the risk, although it's still there. And I think the conferences roll with them. Man, they got a chance to have Gonzaga play six games. <laughs> it's a payday for everybody. NCAA tournament shares for everybody. We play in a gym and don't pull out all the bleachers, but give us all the NCAA money. Uh, but I can see where the ACC and the Big Ten schools, the SEC, the Big 12, the Pac-12. I mean, if you don't have to go, if you know you're in the tournament, and most of those leagues are going to have – I don't know, at least three or four, maybe in some cases even more teams think, we're in, what do we need to do this for? And it may well be, uh, you need to do it for Bristol, Connecticut. That's what you need to do it for. What are they going to do if you don't go? Not pay you. Not give the conference the money. But maybe that can be quietly negotiated and not be that big a deal. I mean, everybody needs the money, but you need the NCAA tournament shares too. And boy, to, to be playing on a Saturday or Sunday and have a guy test positive and then find out he can't play the first week of the NCAA tournament... You know, I mean, Gonzaga is a one seed and they're expected to go. But for a lot of these teams, the first week of the NCAA tournament is the whole NCAA tournament. Three quarters of the teams in the tourney lose that first week. I understand that. But for, I think that for some of these programs that are already in, they're going to kick you out of the league, especially if you get a couple of your other uh, fellow members who are in. You, know, you look at the Big 12, I mean, they should six teams. And so let the others go and play uh, or don't bring keep some of your guys home let some of your guys your reserves get playing time because you're going to go to indianapolis so there's not going to be everyone's going to do the same travel depending on you know if you're in indiana obviously you don't have to travel as far but if you're in spokane washington you got to travel but you already know that so all that stuff, well, let's get one where we don't have to travel as far. We can sleep in our own beds and all that crap that just has no bearing on whether you win or lose. But we hear it every year, and it's hard to beat a team three times. I don't want to hear any of that crap. Play the game, and don't bring your main guys. Have them sit at home. And you say, oh, well, they'll be rusty and whatnot. The one year the Utes go to the Final Four, they lose the first round. So that's out the window. All that stuff that's is just a bunch of talk. That's Rudy Gobert. The loss refocuses you. Well, yeah. Well, you, they had a big layoff, and, and if you have Majerus went to the Elite Eight and Sweet Sixteen, whether he won the tournament or he didn't win the tournament in Vegas, it didn't matter because they had a great team and he was a great coach. That's all that mattered. All right, other stuff we talked about. There was a lot of jazz talk in this show. One loss, does it matter? Or it was just inevitable after 11? I think there was an air of inevitability. They were going to lose soon. But I just think the fact they lost to the Nuggets and the fact the Nuggets outscored them again, they gotta, they got to figure that out going forward in case they see these guys in the postseason. Well, I mean, they figured it out uh, a few weeks back. They, they beat them. DJ and PK, we have your feedback coming up next. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Rogers went down. Will he stay around? When will Aggie fancy love tell me? 
When will we see love? <laughs> I like it. Thought you might. Jake says he's got a backstory. So Kay, who sends these in uh, almost daily, actually emailed me over the weekend, asked me some questions. We were going back and forth, and I didn't see one this morning from him yet, so I sent him an email saying, hey, Kay, you're going to... You're gonna help us out on a Monday. You're prompting him now. I just was like, "Hey, are you?" Because I wanted to see if he had one. Maybe he hadn't sent it yet, or whatnot. So he God. says, "Hey, <laughs> but is he like the Beatles? He's got a whole catalog of recorded but unreleased hits." He told me he had this in his mind, but the the thing is, his wife normally records these with him. She's the backup voice. She's the backup singer. Oh yeah, the sure, harmony yeah. to what they're doing. Oh, so, she's Linda Ronstadt. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> nice. So what he did is he actually drove over to her place of business and they recorded this and sent it in. During the show today, so he came through big time in the clutch. So he drove over to Capitol Records. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, get out here. We got to record this thing. Good thing there was no traffic on the 101. It can be hard to get to Capitol. <laughs> so yeah, Kay, you are a stud, and keep sending them in. Uh, that's it. That was a good one today. I liked it. Fresh is today's headlines, PK. On Twitter right now, John Wilner, Pac-12, not considering a cancellation of the conference tournament, comma, per source. Oh, I heard that last week. They're not flinching. Isn't this a deal where they're not doing it, they're not, they're not considering it, they're not considering it, until suddenly they do? Yeah, it's like with the COVID, uh, well, we'll resume our season next week. Well, then you find out, you know, look at the pack. there's tons of not tons, but there was multiple teams in the Pac-12 that were out three weeks during a condensed season. And they didn't say that, but it ended up being that. Uh, sort of like a lingering injury. Right now, saying you're going to uh, play right now is sort of meaningless. If it's March 1st, well, then you got me. But February 1st? No, we're still six weeks away. Why would you decide now? You don't have to decide now. What, what's the point? See where your league's at in a month anyway. Get, depending if you even get through games. Look at Oregon. Has Oregon only played like six conference games? Something like that? I mean, they just have been devastated by it, and they haven't been able to get out on the floor. I'm having a hard time getting worked up like I did with football, and I refuse to acknowledge that it was legitimate for the Pac-12 purposes. I'm, I'm I'm not completely there in basketball, but so many teams have been off for a couple of weeks and then they're off again and blah, 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 and they didn't play the non-conference to the level that they thought and guys coming in and out of the lineup. Really, can we really judge and make definitive this team was really good this year, this team was a disappointment because this team that was really good was it playing a team that had three or four guys out at the time they played them. I believe Ken Palm addressed this. Ken Pomeroy, KenPalm.com, saying uh, the the selection committee is going to be so overwhelmed with that information, it's going to be hard to process it all. It's just it, there, there are so many things, you know. Well, they're missing two guys, but they're role guys. They're only missing one guy, but he was a star. And now in this game, Boston College has a game. Is it tonight or tomorrow? they got a game where they're going to have to play with four scholarship players and fill it out with walk-ons. And, and people are outraged. There's stuff on Twitter this morning like, yeah, they wouldn't do this to Duke and North Carolina, but they're making BC play. So this stuff is all over. And you are right. Oregon is 4-2 and two in conference right now. Yeah, Whereas Cal, where Cal is 2-10. and 10. Right, 
we're, and Cal's that's a like massive difference. We're terrible. Why don't we miss some games? <laughs> but they got to keep playing and keep taking losses. They played twelve. Yeah, literally double the number of Pac-12 games as Oregon. Right. And you know, and it's like, well, you should do well. It's not always on the team that isn't playing. You know, sometimes you do everything right, and it doesn't matter because the opponent's got an issue. So, right. What are you going to do? What well, are you going to do? Utah's supposed to play ASU tomorrow, and it's canceled for the second time. Yeah, that's. Uh, aren't they going to play it on the weekend now? Sunday is the plan. No, I, I don't. I don't. Or oh, that's not happening. Even the Sunday game. No, isn't happening? no, th- that's not the makeup game. That's the regularly scheduled game. The yeah. Tuesday game was the makeup game for down there, right? Yes. It yeah. gets so confusing, I can't even keep track now. Right. It's going to be Arizona Thursday and ASU Sunday. The, the Tuesday game is going to be down there. The Sunday game is up here. Right. This is part of the regular schedule. Right. The other game is, is trying to be a makeup game that they've tried and they couldn't do it there. And I'm not even I'm sure what the reason is. It's obviously not COVID because the Devils played Saturday. They played their games. They missed, a, they missed some games earlier in the month. But the last couple of weeks they've been okay. Uh, I think it's something to do with travel, and so this game that was going to be played tomorrow is off. I don't. At this point, I just can't keep track. And call it another. Call it a day, and and I wouldn't worry about making up these games. All right, DJ and PK. It's ninety-seven five at twelve eighty. The zone. We are out of time. Coming up next, it's Scott and Hands right here on ninety-seven five at twelve eighty. The zone.